Welcome back to the show, people. It is Labor Day weekend, and that means it's officially the beginning of the NFL season when we kick off with the Chiefs at the Lions on Thursday night football. Oh, man, I am so excited for real football to be back. I mean, right now we do have um, college going on. And speaking of college, we just watched Coach Prime coach the Colorado Buffaloes over the TCU Horned Frogs. I can't believe it. Number 17, ranked 17 in the nation. TCU goes down to the newly installed Coach Prime and his son who lit it up along with Travis Hunter having a day on both sides of the ball. Amazing. Uh, I'm probably not going to talk that much college football this year. Sorry for the people that really enjoy college football, but uh, it's not my bag. I, I will, like right now, I will go over some of the big highlights and things going on and and a couple guys that I follow, but I'm not going to cover a lot of college football. So if that's if you're here to hear that, then you're lucky today, but not going to be a lot of that. But today, Coach Prime I feel like this is a prime, no pun intended, example of giving a guy a shot, right? Uh, I think Shadour going, doing what he did against what people thought was better competition, which Big 12 defense, better competition than an HBCU? Mm, I don't know how, by how much, but it probably is slightly better talent, physical talent at, at, at least. But the fact that he went out there and put up 5'10", I don't even know how many touchdowns, it's amazing. I think it really goes to show that uh, if you give your guy time and reps and, and really stick and work with a quarterback, that they will improve. <clears throat> Kyle Shanahan, who we will get to later. But I think it's a perfect example of a guy who's a project, putting him in a good environment and letting him work, letting him work the kinks out, letting him figure out how to play quarterback. Like, and he goes up there and lights up um, superior talent. You know, TCU, uh, they coming into the season, ranked 17, means they, they're not a slouch, right? But I just think, it's so crazy. Like, get your guys in there, get them playing time, and they will improve. They will get better. Most. And if they don't, then you bring somebody else in. It's college football. You got NIL deals and the transfer portal and all these things nowadays. It shouldn't be that crazy to go ahead and figure out how to get some guys in here. Oh, I got a little headphone issue right here. Okay, there we go. But, yeah. Uh. But the reason I uh, brought up that point is I wanted to talk about Trey Lance going to the Cowboys because I think I just briefly mentioned it in last week's episode. But now I want to really go through it a little bit. Let me get my notes up here. I really want to go through some of this a little bit. Um, So what does Trey Lance come to the Cowboy mean for Dak's future? To me, I don't think anything. I don't think there's any difference between now and then. I think the idea was that the Cowboys were going to bring in, we're going to start looking at other quarterbacks. It's time to start 
how long how much more long long can you go with Dak? How long can you keep riding with Dak Prescott that way? Uh I don't think it's going to affect it that much cuz I think they were already having ideas of starting to look beyond Dak at this point and even if if he would have to go light it up and win a Super Bowl right now I feel like to really save his job. So what does uh what does Trey Lance coming to the Cowboys mean for Dak's future? It means that you're on thinner ice than you probably thought. They're bringing a guy in to get a look, okay? It's it's getting there. They I feel like the fact that I've sp- spoken about the Cowboys on the last two pods kind of shows and I feel like they're they're leaning in the direction I've been saying which is get a young guy behind Dak who can sit and come in and fill the gap when it's time to move on inevitably move on like Dak's not the future we need to do something and I think Trey Lance from what I've seen here and there from what all the little amount that we have seen which was my point with Shador is uh like Kyle Shanahan you got to play your guy like if and I understand he got hurt but there was plenty of other time you could have played him and you went with Jimmy G Trey Lance should have had every opportunity in the world to go out there similar to Shador and this is what happens when you have a coach that believes in you and you know the coach believes in you it's his son <laughs> And he knows that his dad believes in him and thinks that he could really do this. And he's given him the opportunity. And look what he did to TCU. Trey Lance should be treated in a similar fashion. Give him the he should have given him the opportunity. But some of this to me is so crazy to think about. Right now, Kyle Shanahan. I keep saying that, and I I want to really go over this because people say that the Shanahan offense can make a good a, a bad quarterback good and a good quarterback great. But I had I went through Kyle Shanahan's entire coaching career. Now, I will preface this by his early OC jobs, he didn't necessarily have final say always in the quarterback situation. So that is the one pass I'm going to give for what I have dubbed the Kyle Shanahan effect. So, Kyle Shanahan, we're just going to start with the offensive coordinating jobs. Kyle Shanahan comes in to the Texans, and Matt Schaub gets off to a okay year, a, a good year, and then, and then, gets hurt what does that sound like (laughs) it sounds like every quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has coached and it's crazy because it's it starts here like Schaub misses week five gets hurt in week nine against the the Vikings and then doesn't play for four weeks and he ends the season with 3,000 yards, 15 touchdowns, 10 interceptions with a 92 rating. Okay, it was a good year, right? He had a a good, solid year. And, but he gets hurt. Okay, cool. Uh, 
he stays there for I think two years, and Shab gets hurt, and then I think the next year he gets hurt. Um, let me check real fast. No, he doesn't get hurt next year, but he gets hurt this year, and then has an okay year, a pretty a really good year next year. But the problem with that is when he has that next year, the four thousand seven hundred seventy yards and thirty touchdowns. 15 interceptions is Kyle Shanahan ended up going to the Washington Commanders, Redskins at the time. And when he goes to the Redskins, the year before, they had Jason Campbell. And Jason Campbell was, at the time, coming off his best season ever. Now, granted, he came in the league at 25, I think. Yeah, he came in the league 25 and struggled his first couple years. But the last year before the Shanahan's come in, yeah, he took them to be 4-12, and 12, right? But he had the best statistical year that he had all season, or all his whole career that season. He averaged 226 yards per game. He threw where's his he hit 64% completion percentage, which is a career high. His yards per game is a career high. His quarterback rating is his career high. His QBR is his one is his third highest QBR. And I it's crazy because what they do when the Shanahan's get in there, now granted, does Kyle Shanahan have direct control over what was happening at the time? I don't think so. But I think when your dad is the, the head coach, you'll probably have a little more say than other offensive coordinators would have in who their quarterback was. Now, Jason Campbell had the best year of his career, right? Okay, cool. We go back and look at who what they did in the offseason – was trade for McNabb, who had almost no difference in statistical how they were playing. And in fact, at this time, Donovan McNabb was 34 years old. 34 years old. They trade for Donovan McNabb, who I don't even understand. Somehow Donovan McNabb made the Pro Bowl this year. I don't really get it. He had 3,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, and uh, 10 interceptions. Yeah, he only played in 14 games, but still, like, his yards per game was 250, quarterback rating 82, QBR 58, which isn't, you're, you're, we're talking about a, just a slight bump in efficiency and production for Donovan McNabb over Jason Campbell. So what they what do they do? They 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 kick out Jason Campbell after his best season to bring in McNabb where there's no real discernible difference in production. And then by the end of the year, that year in twenty ten, they bench McNabb and put in Rex Grossman at the end of the year. And they only end up winning two more games. Than what they had before. The year after that. They keep Grossman in. 
and he throws 20 interceptions. <laughs> he throws 20 interceptions. Let me go to the stats so I can actually sh talk to you guys and t show you what's really going on here. Because the, this idea that the Shanahan system makes quarterbacks better is virtually bullshit when it comes to Kyle Shanahan. And I'm going to go through here and show you why that is nonsense nowadays. And we can pretend like it's the fact, but what it, what we, what it really does is the running game becomes so good that the quarterback doesn't need to make up for more things. That's, I think that's the idea of what the Shanahan offense really should be. And what's really going on is they run the ball amazingly well. That's it. They run the ball amazing, and they have a good defensive coordinator, and they don't rely on the quarterback to win games. And somehow we end up saying that this is this makes quarterbacks better. But I want you to look at this. They they trade for Donovan McNabb and sent and sit down Jason Campbell, who's just slightly less productive than a 34-year-old Donovan McNabb. Now, this guy's 28 at the time. He's six years younger than, than Donovan McNabb, and they still do this. They bench Donovan McNabb at the end of the year and bring in Rex Grossman, who plays for that, that the rest of that year. And they get rid of McNabb at the end of the season and bring in and keep Rex Grossman as their starting quarterback. And he throws 16 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. It's terrible. He is terrible. Again, we have the same type of... How many times have we seen this? How many times have we seen Kyle Shanahan... A Kyle Shanahan team just settle for a bad quarterback. It's a theme here, and I'm going to keep going. Okay, so that happens. They what? They lose one less game, and then Kyle Shanahan moves. No, they're still here. So what happens next year, right? Next year, let me pull up the stats here. Next year. Is the year up? Oh, you guessed it. That RG three comes and saves the Shanahan's. Okay, I'm just I'm just telling you the truth here. Okay, this is what it is, right? So he goes to the Texans. They're okay. They're bad to okay for the two years that he's there. Matt Schaub gets hurt halfway through the first season of Kyle Shanahan being the co the offensive coordinator. He joins his dad in Washington in 2010. They trade away Jason Campbell, who had his best season of his life, for Donovan McNabb, who somehow made the Pro Bowl playing maybe the third worst season, maybe like the fourth worst season he's had up to this point. Somewhere in that range. They bench Donovan McNabb and put Grossman in who ends the year as the worst of all three of those quarterbacks. The next year, they rock with Grossman, and he throws 16 touchdowns to 20 interceptions, and, they and they're worse. Whoa, who would have guessed it? In 2012, RG3 saves Mike and Kyle Shanahan's jobs and carries them to the playoffs. Now, why do I say this? Because I think a lot of people attribute... RG3's success 
to the Shanahan's being such good coaches. And I personally, at this point, after going through it, I, I can't believe that. What RG3 was uber talented and amazing and took this team to 10 and 6 and essentially flipped their record took them to the playoffs him and alfred morris were out of their mind drugged them to the playoffs and what happens da, 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 da. rg3 blows his knee out and rg3 continues he blows his knee out in the playoffs and they lose they put kurt cousins in they the next year comes around and RG three says uh comes back I think before people thought he would or he was supposed to and there was weird stuff going on with his knee and they play like ter- they play terrible and he gets hurt a lot and he's knickknack injuries and all this and then they go three and thirteen in the last three games they put in Kirk Cousins and he plays like trash and the Shanahan's get fired because basically what we're talking about is for three years almost four years they won what 14 games and went to the playoffs one time where and they destroyed rg3's career <laughs> so that's the first time this is just we, we only in 2013 2014 shanahan goes to if you know the answer say it that's right people the Cleveland Browns in 2014. Oh, wait, what is that? Hold on. You hear that? You hear that? It's the sound of a of a drunken college lad downing beers <laughs> and doing the money side. It is the year that the Browns draft Johnny Manziel in the first round. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure Kyle Shanahan, this is one of those where I gave him a little bit of an out, okay? To be honest, Kyle Shanahan gets inherits an owner or whoever, a head coach that wants to draft Johnny Menzel in the first round. And we know how that goes. It's a documentary about it. That's how bad it goes so bad. They made a documentary about it. So you can go check that out, right? On Netflix, I'm pretty sure. The Johnny Manziel Untold. Uh... Yeah, and even in this, the the craziest thing is, guess who the quarterback for the Browns is at the time? Jason Campbell. So it's Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan comes in and, and cuts Jason Campbell again <laughs> to bring in Johnny Manziel. And Johnny Manziel plays so bad that when Kyle Shanahan goes to the coaches or the, the people above him and says, hey, we can't play this guy. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> I can't do this. I can't deal with this guy. He doesn't even know the plays. They say no. And he asked to be released because the the owner wants to start Manziel the next year in 2015. After cutting Jason Campbell for the second time, who, who, if I remember correctly, let me go look, didn't play that bad. He didn't play that bad that year. That's the, that's the sad part about this is that he went to, he was in Cleveland that year, and he played. He started eight games, and he threw for his second best yards per game in his career, and was just inefficient. You know, eleven touchdowns to eight interceptions. He was mid, extremely mid, and they lost. They went one and seven. So of course, 
you have the runway to cut him. But again, they bring him in, and then you bring in a guy that plays worse. You bring in Johnny Manziel. Having Johnny Manziel couldn't have been worse than having Jason Campbell. Jason Campbell at the time doing that, it was not worse. That's the saddest part about all this. Okay, so let's move on. Now, Shanahan asks out from the Browns after zero success and gets hired as the Falcons offensive coordinator. The first year they're there, they improve by two wins and they miss the playoffs. But Matt Ryan has his second or third worst year of production in the league when Shanahan first comes in. He didn't come in and make the bet the the good quarterback great. He didn't turn him into being great. His first year there, 2015, he has 4,500 yards, and he has 21 touchdowns and 16 interceptions, and he's mid. Now, what happens here, okay, is the next year, maybe it's a year in the system, maybe it's Matt Ryan is just really, really good, right? Maybe that's the case. Maybe Matt Ryan is the best of the Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan combo of mid mid white guy quarterbacks. Maybe he he's the best one of them, and he's just really good and figured out how to play in this offense. Maybe that's part of it, or maybe Kyle Shanahan is a genius or whatever people would try to say. I mean, he is a football genius, even compared to me. But I'm saying that that the, it's over. This thing is overblown. So it's 2016. When they go 11-5, and five, and Matt Ryan takes them to the Super Bowl, where the Falcons lead 28-3 going into the fourth quarter. And we all know what happens next. Let goat of football, Tom Brady. <laughs> brings him back from a 28 from a 3 to 28 lead and leads them to the dub in the Super Bowl the biggest choke job in Super Bowl history I think still so yeah they blow a fourth quarter lead where they're loot where they're up by 20 plus points they had the best offense in the league and Matt Ryan did have a, an MVP style year so I'll give Kyle Shanahan that one okay 2017 Kyle Shanahan gets a job with, ding, 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 the 49ers. And he brings in Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard and, and drafts Solomon Thomas with the number two pick after they trade back. And then they, in the middle of the season, and by the way, they miss out on Trubisky, Mahomes, Deshaun, that they could have had instead of drafting Solomon Thomas. And I think basically the plan was that they were going to get Kirk Cousins. And instead, they traded for the Shanahan saver, savior, Jimmy Garoppolo. And when they trade for him in the middle of the season, they go 6-2. and two. And Jimmy saves Kyle's job. Now I need to go look and make sure what their record was, but I'm pretty sure they ended up 8 and 8 if I remember correctly. It's crazy because okay, so next year, let's just get to next year. Next year, Jimmy G goes 1 and 2 and tears his ACL. Hoyer starts and he goes 0 and 5. 
CJ starts the rest of the season and he goes three and five. CJ Beathard at the time. And the team goes three and five after Beathard was in and they finish four and twelve. Bottom half in every offensive category. So they didn't run the ball good, they didn't throw the ball good, and they played defense okay, which gave them a four win. The next year and you know, Jimmy G did tear his ACL, so their starting quarterback did go down, but they went four and twelve without Jimmy G. In twenty nineteen, we know what happens. They go thirteen and three with Jimmy G back for the whole season, and they make it to the Super Bowl. And guess what happens next? They're leading twenty to ten going into the fourth quarter, and they blow the lead to Mahomes. Now here's what I want to point out for the 2019 season is they didn't throw the ball great. Jimmy G wasn't great. They were the best running rushing team in the league with one of the best lines and one of the best defenses. And Jimmy G just game manages them and saves the day because Jimmy G is not bad. The next year, they're struggling. They go four and four and Jimmy G gets hurt. And they go two and eight after that. And their season, hold on, let me let's look at the exact record of this season. They go six and ten. So, yeah. They go six and ten. And in the offseason, they had a middling offseason again. And after this season, they go out and they trade, what, two first and a third to move up to third overall for Trey Lance. They could have got Stafford. They could have traded for Stafford that offseason and went and won the Super Bowl like the Rams. <laughs> they didn't want to do that, so they drafted Trey Lance, which was my whole point in starting this in the first place is after this, after you go 6-10, and 10, but you went to the Super Bowl beforehand, you should have leverage for the next two to three years as the head coach, and you should have just tra- you should have just played Trey for the next two years to see what he could do, and we would be heading into this year with two years of Trey Lance knowing whether or not he was going to be ready now or whether it was time to move on. So, the next year, they have a top 10 defense and rushing and leading rushing. And they end the year making the playoffs where they beat the Cowboys in ups. And they lose to the Rams after leading 17 to 7. Head into the second half, they lose again in a game they led by. And throughout the season, Trey has two starts, and he looks like a guy who's 20 years old trying to learn how to play quarterback in the NFL. But after this season, they cut Jimmy G and draft Brock Purdy in the draft. Now, it looks to me like now you have the same setup you had in Washington with success is to put Trey out there and let him go, and you got Jimmy G back there, just regular white guy, game manager, to go in and do what you need him to do. Okay, cool. The next year, last year, 13-4, and four, they lose to Philly 
in the NFC Championship after every single quarterback gets hurt. They signed Jimmy G right after, immediately after they released him last season. They released him last season after they go to the playoffs and get beat by the Rams. They cut Jimmy G, bring him immediately back. Trey Lance gets hurt. He breaks his leg in week two. Jimmy G breaks his foot in week 13. And then in the championship, they have two different quarterbacks that go down. Do you know how crazy that is? And now we're where we're at, where they just traded Trey to the Cowboys, where hopefully he gets his chance, and Brock Purdy is the next coming of Tom Brady. And Shanahan better hope so, because in this whole ranking and scenario and and what I've come to notice is that his quarterbacks are going to get hurt they're not they're what he brings to their production in their game isn't that much to me where it really makes a difference like the Shanahan offense the Shanahan offense to me doesn't make that much of a difference so I think this whole idea that the Shanahan's well, at least Kyle Shanahan makes quarterbacks great should be over with because in this whole time, all we have is Jimmy G saved his career but gets hurt every year. And then really you have Matt Ryan for one year and you have RG3 for one year. In the past 15 years, we're talking about the system has made one quarterback really because it ruined RG3 you made Matt Ryan Matt Ryan but then he can he had that same type of production before but not quite to that high of a level where it's MVP level but he always played at a high level he played at a high level after Shanahan was gone I don't understand. Then you come in and you're terrible with all the backup guys that you bring in because you're the head coach now. You have a choice. You skip out on drafting Mahomes, Deshaun, even Mitchell Trubisky, which I don't think they would have had the opportunity to. Or no, they traded up. The Bears traded up to get Trubisky. So there you go. Or whatever happened. Either way, you could have had Trubisky. You should have had Mahomes. You could have had Deshaun. But no, you were trying to wait to get Kirk Cousins, and that doesn't work. So you go trade for Jimmy G in the middle of the season after you're doing terrible, after you're winless, okay, 0-8, and, and they go trade for Jimmy G, and he carries them to 6-2. and two, And he saves Shanahan's job after he skips out on drafting a quarterback, and they lose. It's so crazy. Yeah, they trade for Garoppolo. Well, no, they couldn't have traded. They couldn't have drafted a quarterback. That wasn't the year. It's the next year after this season. They could draft a quarterback, and they don't do it because they want Kirk, they wanted Kirk Cousins, and they but they traded for Jimmy G. So now they've got to stick with Jimmy G. And that's where we get into this, where twenty eighteen he tears his ACL. Yeah, this is what I'm saying, guys. I don't want to rehash this whole thing all over again. But you could have had a guy. You had you trade for Jimmy G. Jimmy G saves your career. 
you throw Jimmy G to the side afterwards and then immediately turn around and feel like that's a mistake and you bring him back. Okay. <laughs> and you keep him there and he takes you to the Super Bowl and you blow a lead in the fourth quarter again. And you, that you cut him, like you do all of this and you, and you try to go with Trey Lance and then Trey Lance gets hurt. Maybe it's the system, maybe it's just bad luck. We don't know, but the moral of the story here I want to point out is also when you go, Shanahan's record as an offensive coordinator is 69-70. and 70. It's middling. 53-46 and 46 as a head coach. You, I feel like at some point Kyle Shanahan here has to be on the hot seat. All this talent, right? You've got all this talent. Who's evaluating the talent? Is it? Is Kyle Shanahan evaluating the talent? Is uh, John Lynch evaluating the talent? Jesus, I'm struggling with evaluating the talent. But either way, at what point does Kyle Shanahan go on the hot seat? We're talking about 69 and 70 as an offensive coordinator, 53 and 46 as a head coach, right? I want, and then there's this one little fact. That will probably blow your mind a little bit. Kyle Shanahan. His record without Jimmy G. His record without Jimmy G is 8 and 29. Okay. Eight twenty nine. <laughs> He's not some quarterback whisperer who can you can you plug a quarterback into that system and the team can operate above complete failures sometimes, but we don't there is no evidence of that. They always say this about Kyle Shanahan and it's not true. It's not true. When Jimmy G went down with his knee, you have Hoyer goes 0-5 and C.J. Beathard goes 13-5. and Or 3-5, excuse me. 13-5 would be crazy. But he goes, yeah, Hoyer goes 0-5. C.J. goes 3-5. and What are we talking about? Jimmy G gets hurt at the year after the Super Bowl and... They go two and six. I don't understand. They got to stop doing this. this. The guy's not a quarterback, which it doesn't work. And matter of fact, he is average. His coaching career up to this point has been average. Yet we talk about Kyle Shanahan like he's done, like he's some, like he's Andy Reid. We talk about Kyle Shanahan like he's Andy Reid, and he's not that. He's not that. He has not been that with the 49ers. And I, I just, I'm glad that Trey Lance can get out of there. Hopefully he can have a Alex Smith level uh, type of career after this stuff. And, and that can be that. And he can really prosper and blossom in Dallas after Dak gets the boot because he is also a mid-sandwich. Okay. I'm glad I got to get through that. All right. Sorry about that. I'm Kyle Shanahan. It, yeah. We got to stop praising, not stop praising him. He's a good, solid coach. He's not Vrabel. He's not Belichick. He's not Andy Reid. 
He's not uh he's not that yet. He's not that. He hasn't shown to be that. He's shown to be a middling coach that cannot perform without a quarterback. Not a awesome coach that can win with any quarterback. That has not happened. And people always keep saying that over and over. It literally has not happened yet. Like that is a th- not a thing that has really happened. So Let's move on. Poor Jason Campbell. Shout out to Jason Campbell, man. I used to love Jason Campbell on uh when he was playing for Oakland. I used to play with him on Madden because he could run. I, 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 this gave me an even deeper sense of uh, connection with Jason Campbell now after that whole thing. So, I think what I want to do now is... Do my division predictions 2.0 heading the final corner into the actual season where NFL teams play actual football again? I am so excited. And uh, I have a few changes here and there to my my uh, division winners. And I'm just going to start where... I went through last time and the AFC North, I just have it being even tougher. <laughs> and after I went through it again, I realized that if Deshaun Watson can come back and play to some like a 75, 70% of his former self, if he can come back and do that, I have, I really like the Browns. If Kenny Pickett can step up and TJ Watt stays healthy again. I really like the Steelers. And then looking at the Ravens again, I kind of cooled off on the Ravens after I really looked at it because the defense is a little wonky and they play a lot of good teams, a lot of good uh, offensive teams. So I really, after looking back, I kind of worry about them a little more than I did because after looking at it again and and changing a couple of the games on here I looked and I, I realized that now the way I have the AFC North ranked out in my final draft before the first game of the season is in the AFC North I have the Bengals and the Steelers tied for first place now, the problem is I have the Bengals beating the Steelers both times. So at one, we have the Bengals. At two, we have the Steelers. And three, we have the Browns. And I have the Ravens finishing last and being right at 500 somewhere and missing the playoffs this year. And so that is, I think Lamar will play crazy. I think they'll have to put up a bunch of points this year because the defense will be the downfall of the Ravens and now they'll learn what it what it's like to I think have one of those high powering high powered fast scoring offenses that the defense might not get a chance to kind of uh, get off their heels a little bit so that's why I have it in the AFC North is Bengals at one Steelers at two Browns at three and Ravens at four now Okay, moving on to the next one that I changed around a little bit here, but I'm they're still it's still the same. But the NFC South, I have the Saints winning a couple more games than I did before. So uh I still have the Falcons winning. 
I have the Saints too. I have the Panthers slightly better than I had them before, and I still have the Bucks being one of the worst teams in the league. But shout out to Baker Mayfield because if anybody can just do have a random type of season where he drags the team to a playoffs, it's it'll be Baker Mayfield, of course. So that's the NFC South. I have the Falcons up to one, and the Saints two, and Panthers three, Bucks last, and everything else I pretty much have the same. I don't believe in Green Bay like everybody else does, but I think this will be one of the close, closer, closer divisions. And I think I have the Bears a little worse than I had them the first time, but they'll still, still be better than the Packers and floating right around 500-ish or so. So, NFC North, I have Lions... Vikings, Bears, Packers. The NFC East, I think here's where things for me get a little sketchy again. So, uh, I want to look through this again. And I, looking at it now, I think this conference is also, or yeah, this division is also pretty interesting because if the Eagles regress, then. Because that's the only thing now. I think the, the Giants take, can take a step forward. They have the scaffolding, the architecture to take it another step forward. If they can do that and the Eagles slightly regress because of just younger guys being in there, then they have a chance. But right now, I got Eagles, Giants, Cowboys, Commanders for the NFC East in that order. The NFC West didn't change it, although I, th- I think... Looking at it now, and after I just did that argument, I think I'm starting to compel myself more that the Seahawks could be a real team that could really do it. Because when I look through my my schedule here, really the real if you take if I take away if I say that the Seahawks can beat the 49ers both the times they play in Week 12 and Week 14. If they can beat them, if they could beat them both times, the way I have my record set up, they're in the playoffs. So that brings them back and that keeps them up there even higher into the playoffs. And I think that brings the 49ers down to an area where I think is probably a little more realistic with Brock Purdy the more and more that I think about it because you open up with the Steelers, you got T.J. Watt on your ass. Then you go to the Rams, you got Aaron Donald on your ass, on Purdy. Then you go to the Giants with Thibodeau and that whole defensive line, and they on you. And then you got the Cardinals, but then you play the Cowboys and Michael Parsons and them boys. Then you go to Miles Garrett. Then you go to Minnesota. Then you go to the Bengals with that defense. And then yeah, that's the first eight weeks of the 49ers season. I can I can see a world where they are struggling, and I think I'm going to flip here. I think I just talked myself into flipping, and I'm going to take the Seahawks to win the division in the NFC West with the 49ers coming in second, the Rams still being bad in third, and the Cardinals being the worst team in the league again. And I th- think I'm going to keep my keep it that way. I think I'm going to keep that that way. Um, Let's see.
did I do? I did the NFC West, NFC East, NFC North, NFC South. I did the AFC North. <laughs> Where are all my AFC teams? I can't find any of my AFC team notes. <clears throat> Where are all my AFC notes? Jesus. Okay, well, let me just go to my AFC rankings. Jeez. So, I still have the Chiefs in. I have the Bengals slightly regressing, the Steelers up. And the other team that I think I'm struggling to kind of get behind more is I worry about the Dolphins. I don't really believe in the Dolphins, and I think the Titans, if the Titans just dominate, if Tannehill really makes that much of a difference, I can see the Titans sneaking up there into that spot where they're fighting with the Steelers and the Jets and the Chargers for five to five to nine range where they're all battling it out and trying to get in. But I guess the other divisions still have the Chiefs winning the AFC West. Uh the Jags are still gonna win the AFC South. The Bills and the Jets, I think that's where I've changed that is I think that'll be a tighter race and that'll be a little more fun to watch. And you know the Patriots is yeah. Patriots would be meh. Like, all right, yeah. Still have the Broncos being bad. And the Colts and the Texans fighting for Caleb Williams for the worst spot in the league. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave those. That's what it is. I've got the Falcons coming out of the NFC South. I have the Lions coming out of the NFC North. But I uh, still kind of want to. But I'm going to go with the Lions. But the Vikings is like, ooh, Kirk Cousins could be good. But I'm going with the Lions. The NFC East. I have the Eagles still coming out. And then the NFC West, the one place where the other place where I changed that a little bit was I have the Seahawks winning the NFC West over the 49ers. I don't know if it's a trendy pick or anything. I haven't been paying enough attention, but that's what I have for the NFC. For the AFC North, I have the Bengals winning the AFC North with the Steelers in close second. In the AFC East, I have the Bills still having a tight race over the Jets. For first, I have the Jets in second, and then I have the Dolphins in third, missing the playoffs, and the Patriots in last place in the AFC East. In the AFC South, it is Jags clearly then the Titans right behind them fighting for a playoff spot. And then Texans Colts are bottom of the barrel teams. The AFC West, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs are number one. And I have the Chargers two with the Broncos third and the Raiders, one of the worst teams in the league. Now, after, now that I've done that, I want to... Bring up something real quick before I end the show about something I just watched. I just watched BS High last week. 
a documentary about a guy that starts a fake school and ends up getting his football team to play MIG Academy on ESPN. <laughs> a fake team that he made up. And I brought this up because I want to point out very quickly how crazy it is that we have gotten to a point with youth sports where there is money in having a fake school so that your kids can you can get kids to play football and he somehow got them on TV playing IMG Academy where they got dog walked and this psychopath Roy Johnson is out there just manipulating kids and catching lawsuits and cases and it's really crazy and there's I don't I'm not trying to not spoil it because there's no nothing to spoil it like you just have to actually see what this documentary is a guy really starts a fake school a fake football team and they travel around the country and play teams and somehow this guy was making some type of money or eventually thought he would make money from it but it's just one big scam and he ruined people's lives. I don't mean to laugh, but he legitimately probably ruined the lives of some kids. Like you had kids on there tearing up that was like, like they was ready to fight that man. Like he really was a crazy person and drug a, a bunch of kids into a, like these crazy situations that this man just created somehow all because he wanted recognition and and because there's not real laws and rules in place when it comes to youth sports and I think that's something that needs to be changed needs to be fixed I think if this is what we're doing we need to just go ahead and and make sports just like it is overseas where like these kids can go pro if you if you can sign at any age you got soccer players and and all that signing when they're like 12 13 years old like I just don't understand they just need to let this happen just have Youth sports leagues, Jesus, youth sports leagues, where we can kind of mitigate a lot of these type of shenanigans where kids' lives get ruined because adults want to try to make money off them playing a sport and having fun and doing something that they love. And we just, I think we're sucking the fun and the best parts of playing sports as a kid, as a teenager in high school, do elementary and middle school, and we sucking all the fun and joy out of it and making it into a business. So why not just, if we're going to do that anyway, this business needs to be more regulated with more rules than it is now, or we're going to have stuff like this keep continue to happen because now somebody's going to look at this and think, I can do that, but I could do it better. And I can actually do it because there's billions of dollars in in a in a school in a high school like athletics program like IMG like that's the point that we've gotten to now where these kids are going to school for basketball for football and school is just a vessel that they are required to intake to be involved in. And just on some level, I just feel like we might as well just go ahead and just cut the bullshit out and just let just make sports leagues for these kids and just set it up in some type of way where 
where we can we cannot be taken advantage of of this type of th- stuff that's going on. You got coaches that get paid for it. You get s- these schools that are getting paid, and these towns and cities that are trying to do these big college esque high school sports teams. They're doing all this, and the kids aren't getting anything for it. And people say, "Oh, they're getting a scholarship eventually, or whatever they're getting out of it. They're getting whatever they're getting out of it." But why don't we just pay the kids? If there's this level of money involved, a fraction of it going into a savings for these teenagers, I feel like shouldn't be that big of a stretch. It should be something that should be very easily implemented. I mean, we're eventually gonna be having where sports is separated from the NCAA because there's no purpose. This isn't, this isn't just, these aren't like, this isn't student athlete time anymore. These guys are getting paid to play their sport. Like, and we're forcing them to pretend like they go into school all for what? Just for some charade. Like look at basketball. I don't even want to get into how youth and high school basketball has, has what that whole thing on a higher level has turned into all of this stuff is it's crazy i think i think there has to be a better system a better option for youth sports and i think watch bs high and you'll see there's a problem going on if people are doing this and there's that much money that's that's out there for high school football then we i think it's time that we really take a a look into how how youth sports is is done around here because it's it's getting kind of sad and we're getting to the don't get me started I might don't get me started on reclassifying and that whole the whole idea of that it's so crazy prep schools and all that like I don't even want to get into it but go watch BS High on Max right now this is not an ad this is just me having to point out something so ridiculous on so many levels and how it's crazy as a society we just have these type of things going on that I feel like should be fixed relatively easily if somebody just came together and sat down and figured it out I think there would be whatever alternative there could be there should be and that's where it's at right now because it's getting out of hand and we got people going crazy because they know their kid could go go to college go to a D1 and get paid for it and really just up front straight away like real pay not the underground pay where they take your Heisman like Reggie Bush okay no you're talking about where he's over the table we know you're getting paid it's all good it's all gravy now that's why I just think something has to be done because you just it's going to trickle down it's already trickling down to the high school level and stuff's going to get weird over the next couple years but I'm you know what I'm just wanted to point it out and uh i think that's how i'm gonna end the episode today i thank you for watching um i'm not good at i'm not good at the outro thing so i'm just gonna cut it off here guys see ya